Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. Hey, hey, I just wanted to pop on here real quick before the episode starts and give a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Now that that's out of the way, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy it because it helps the podcast grow. And don't forget to be peace, be love, be mindful as a mother. Hello and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. My name's Lindsay and I'm here with Paige. Woohoo! And we are doing part two of chapter six of Tamara Rossier's Your Brain is Not Broken. And so if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you definitely need to go listen to it so you have the understanding of the different malicious ways that we motivate ourselves. And we talked about that last week in the context of um, how to manage it with yourself. But this week we're going to talk about how we can help um, avoid these with our kids and keep our kids from falling into the same traps that we have likely fallen into in (laughs) our life. And we're building our toolboxes to work around at this point. (laughs) Yes. So just as a refresher, ways that we emotionally manipulate ourselves into action include avoidance, anxiety, procrastination, anger, um, and perfectionism. And this is because the ADHD system is motivated. The nervous system is interest motivated, meaning we're usually generally only motivated in things we're interested in. So we're really good at being consistent with something that lights us up, that we're passionate about. And then the other thing that is really motivating is the emotional hyper arousal piece. Um, and so we have found these workarounds that are often unhealthy to keep ourselves motivated and doing the things that we need to do to get by in life. And we just want to keep our kids from internalizing the same messages. So we're going to give a few examples of each and a few tips of how you can either prevent that or handle them when they come up in the future. The first one is avoidance. And so tell me how this shows up for your kids. So one example that I thought of was my eight-year-old and cleaning her room, Mm -hmm. right? And so this, I think, is classic, and a lot of parents can relate to it, of you send your kid to go clean their room, and then there's memes about it, too. It's like, eight-year-old me cleaning my room, and then it's a picture of you with, like, goggles on and a cape and, like, a hat, and you're playing with toys. Mm -hmm. So, like, our eight-year-old, I left dad in charge of supporting them with their chores last week while I was doing something, and he sent her to go clean her room, and then immediately, instead of cleaning her room, we hear her play the guitar, and then we were just, like, letting it go for a while, and it was a long time of playing the guitar instead of cleaning our room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, in our life, that's a big way of showing up, because it's not interesting to clean their room, they don't really want to clean their rooms, and, um, like, they'll find literally anything to do with cleaning the rooms, and I feel like this is an example a lot of parents can relate to. Yeah. And it's like we, I'm in the right place at the right time. And maybe I say I'm trying to clean my room, but I am motivated by the first thing that looks like shiny or a new toy that I, an old toy that like I forgot about and it's new and I'm going to play with it instead of staying on track with the thing that I need to be doing. And it can be really frustrating as a parent because we want to be able to send our kids into 
um, a chore or a task and have them just complete it. And often neurotypical kids can do that, but something we're up against with a neurodivergent kiddo is that they often need more intentionality and support in doing these things for a longer period of time. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So Mm -hmm. Paige has some really good tips that she uses in her house and we run our house similarly too, but, um, to, to kind of keep them on track. Yes. Tell me what you do. So the thing that I do right now is I recognize that I need to be modeling for them. And I like to take things in bite-sized pieces to support them. And this helps in a couple ways. One, there's the dopamine of like completing a task and then you're completing it quickly. So you're getting that reward quick, right? So now we're staying motivated more or less by the completion. Yeah. And with the way you do it, she uses categories. So she'll be in her room and she'll be like, okay, we're going to pick up the trash or we're going to pick up the blocks Mm -hmm. or the Barbies or put the books away. And the ADHD brain really likes those categories for whatever reason. And it gives you like something small to focus on. And so it keeps your child motivated throughout and you're changing with a perceived activity, right? So the big activity is cleaning the room mm-hmm. and that can feel really overwhelming, but you're changing the like activity. So it feels like you're keeping it interesting too. Yes, exactly. And so I'll model and walk through it with them. Like, okay, hey, first we're going to do all the trash. Now we're going to pick up all your toys. Now we're going to make your bed and now we're going to put away your laundry. And then through that step-by-step process together, they're getting the dopamine reward, they're getting interest, and then they're being modeled how to break it up for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then the other way that we really like to do it in our house is my kids are very motivated, two or three, are very motivated by competition. They get it from their daddy. So it'll be a competition if we're doing we have to do something that we're struggling with like and a lot of times this could be our morning routine or our evening routine and so i'll say like what if we set a five minute timer do you think you could do it faster than that let's see if you can beat the timer and i don't know how much longer this will work because the oldest is eight but she still loves it so she'll set a timer and she'll even check in throughout how much time i got left and then she's like going and doing the thing so then she is that's her buy-in for it yeah and it gives her that emotional like motivation which is the competition which is a healthy healthy way to motivate yourself with emotionality Mm -hmm. um the other thing we do is we will do it together and then there's like a reward after so it's like okay we're gonna we call it family cleanup we're gonna do family cleanup and then we can have a family movie night after or we can watch a show together or i'll redo a book or depending on you know whatever it is and so they feel like they are doing it we're all doing it together to achieve this reward i really try to promote like the team adams thing um in our family culture and we call ourselves that because i viewing us as a team and us doing things together seems Mm -hmm. to keep them motivated i love that The next one is anxiety. And when kids use anxiety to motivate themselves, it shows up when they are like in a stressed or dysregulated state. So if you notice that your child is in a stressed or dysregulated state about something, whether it's a school assignment or getting a task done or doing things a certain way, that is when you can tell that they're using this way to either motivate or move themselves forward. Mm -hmm. What kind of behaviors would you say that you see? So I see like getting really stuck on one thing, um, an idea of something like the perfection or the grade or like I have to get this done right now, Mm -hmm. the timing of things. Like if I don't do it right now or fear that they will forget something or that they will, um, they can't 
find something or that something won't be there later. That's something that comes up with Sam a lot. And this is where you want to use like um, the regulation strategies for their nervous system because their nervous system is dysregulated from the stress state. And so once you get them into a more regulated state, then you can actually focus on like a healthy way of doing the thing. One of my favorite ways to do this is just by taking like a calm down time. We have a calm down corner in our house that has like quiet sensory activities or, um, and I usually go sit with them in the calm down corner for that co-regulation piece, but not always. Sometimes Sam just says, I want to take alone time and I let him go do alone time in his room. And then we come back to the thing that's causing the stress or anxiety. And that models to him that like, it's okay to take a break to regulate yourself and then come back to what you're doing. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And you're teaching them to ride the wave, which is really important when we're talking about the stress response. You have to be able to ride the length of the emotion to improve your ability to manage them. That's like the distress tolerance, the window of tolerance, those things that we talk about. Yeah. And cause it's not about not having the anxiety or the fear of the stress that's going to be there naturally because that's just part of the human experience. But what we want to teach our kids is that it, we don't want to use it as a motivator to get things done and that, um, they're going to be okay with the intense emotion. Yeah. Well, and it could be the, would you say that this could be the anxiety of getting in trouble? Like if we're hyper fixated that we're going to get in trouble yeah. and that's how we're motivating ourselves yes. to do it. Like mom's going to get mad at me. Dad's yeah. going to get mad at me. And sometimes my kids will say that or Yuri specifically will say that to me. She's six years old. And I know that as her parent, I have never had a strong emotional reaction to her not completing something like that. And in her mind, she's like, I'm going to get in trouble and dad's going to yell at me or mom's going to yell yeah. at me. And so we're pushing that level of urgency so she can motivate herself to get it done mm-hmm. and then avoid punishment. Right. Yeah. Knowing as the parent that I'm not like that's. Yeah. That's and so thing. that's a way and that that's a way of like per- putting the perceived deadline in place. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about last episode is like it's a perceived consequence that's not necessarily accurate or true, but it's a way to keep like doing the things that we need to do. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side, using the timer for a sense of urgency, healthy coping skill to overcome avoidance, yeah. right? Because that sense of competition, that adrenaline shows up. It's the same system in your body as anxiety, but you're using it in a different way. Yeah. And I think it's okay. It's good to know that like it's going to show up anyway. And so we want to like channel it into more, more healthy outlets, right? Or ways of yeah. coping. The next one is procrastinating. Oh, you want me to go? Paige is looking at me like, are you going to talk about this one? Um, procrastinating is just avoiding doing the thing that we don't want to do for forever and ever. And one of the reasons that sometimes kids procrastinate is because they don't feel like they do a good enough job or they can't do it perfectly. Sometimes they just procrastinate because they're not interested in it. And I feel like this one with kids really goes hand in hand with avoidance. And so in our house, we use a lot of play Mm -hmm. and competition. So we like make things a game. We make things fun. We do them cooperatively. We do them together to avoid the procrastination piece. And I think modeling how to break bigger tasks down like the room or assignments um, offsets them getting in that cycle of procrastinating and waiting to the deadline because once they don't know that they can like pull it off in the deadline 
they if they don't have that experience and the emotional high from pulling something off in the yeah, deadline, dodging a bullet, they're less likely to use that as a way of like completing tasks. Yes, that's what I was thinking exactly. Is that if you're modeling the breakdown of the pieces step by step while they're young, they'll automatically learn a healthier way to avoid the procrastination, right? Because we're not trying to build that sense of urgency then. Yeah, and so they're not using it as a a tool to motivate themselves. The perfectionism piece is there. there's a lot of kids that are really motivated by perfection and really crushed when they don't live up to perfection, specifically with grades. And I see it a lot in clients that I work with. And it's there's a lot of like unpacking of those beliefs and thinking that like if I fell a test in fifth grade, I'm going to be homeless when I grow up because I'm not going to be successful. And like, it's just like, it can get really carried away and using that to motivate yourself to be perfect. That's also like a shame motivator as well. But, um, and one way you can combat that in your day to day is you can focus on progress and the process rather than the outcome or perfection. Right. So mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, I know you have some good examples of Layla with like a Layla with reading. Yeah. So with, Alayla, she was getting really frustrated learning to read, and so she would start to really shame herself with it because she didn't read the word correctly or she needed help sounding it out. And so we really started to push the idea because she'd ask me, how come you know how to read that already? And I'm like, well, I've been reading for 25 years. I'm 30 years old. It's like I've been practicing for 25 years, and everyone is different. And everybody practices differently and it takes time. So reinforcing that there isn't this immediacy, because I think that that's another neurospicy tendency. There isn't an immediacy that as soon as you pick something up, you're going to be good at it and it's going to be satisfying. I have that too. I, I see I it a lot. I expect myself to be instantly good and successful. Or and, else and, we're done. And, well, and the problem, I think the trap I've gotten into, not to go on a tangent, is that part of my like, I am really naturally good at a lot of things. And so when I'm not naturally good at something, and I mean that in the humblest way, I'm a two, four in human design if you're into human design. And that means like the natural (laughs) genius or whatever is what that's called. Like the natural genius. Like I can just be good at a lot of different things like pretty easily. It feels like it comes easily to me. And, but when I'm not, oh, the shame because I'm not used to it. Yeah. Like I should just be good at it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so that like paired with my ADHD is like, it can be a nightmare mentally. Yes. So I really encourage families to look at the narratives we're creating in our families with this. So like there's this idea of perfectionism. So like Yuri loves art, but if she doesn't draw something correctly, then she gets, she gets upset and then she doesn't even try anymore. Right. Because now yeah, we're disappointed. And so we really try to observe the narratives we're creating as parents. So like one of them, they kept saying, I'm not smart because I did bad on this test or whatever, right? They're yeah. eight, six, and four. So I'm like, why is this even a thing? But we redefined as a family what being smart means. Yeah. So smart doesn't mean you're good at it. Smart means you have the ability to learn. And so that is our family narrative around being smart. Well, and we don't, we, um, and I think this is coming up more as my kids are getting older and interacting with peers, but we don't even really use the word smart. And I'm sure you didn't until your kids were in school and then it becomes a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm seeing that come up more and more for my kids. And so it's been like having to redefine smart, but I I don't ever tell my kids they're so smart because that's something I was told a lot as a kid. And I am highly intelligent. Like I'm not 
trying to brag, but I am. I'm a two for in human designs. So. Uh, oh my god! Okay, <laughs> I'm just okay. kidding. <laughs> so, um, so I would get compliment, and that's something that people would tell me a lot. Yeah. So, but then when things didn't come easily to me, I didn't feel smart. Yeah, because I felt like smart should come easy. Yeah, yeah. And so praising kids for the effort that they put in, yeah. or the encourage, encouraging them to find enjoyment, or you tried so hard, and last time you got a 60% and this time you got a 65. I'm so proud of you for your progress, right? And just redefining how we do that and celebrating mistakes because mistakes are learning experiences. Yes. We celebrate mistakes and I model sharing when I make a mistake all the time. And modeling is honest to God, your most powerful parenting tool. Please take that and run with it. You can model and you could tell a story about making a mistake at work in an age-appropriate way for your kid, and they will take that, and they will learn it, and they will use it. Yeah, and that's why I think like doing the work on yourself is so important, because mm-hmm. as you're unpacking these things about yourself, you're seeing ways that you can model and help your kids avoid these same pitfalls. Yeah, and another example I really I just thought of, and I love, is when we're hiking as a family, I have two kids that are outwardly hyperactive and one that's inwardly hyperactive. Yeah. So Zane and my two super active kids will like run up a mountainside when we're hiking. Yeah. And for Yuri, she can't keep up with them. And she gets really self-defeated and she starts shaming herself and blaming herself. Yeah. And then... Even though it's like, God, keep going, it's actually killing her motivation. Yeah, she's not into hiking anymore because it's not fun because she doesn't feel as good as her sisters and her dad. And so we've really, really worked on redefining as a family what exercise or like outdoor activity looks like. And this is a lot of work I have to put in and I have to like pick apart my own shaming because like how many times as an, an adult female have I been like, oh, I need to go work off those cookies, right? Yeah. That is an example of using shaming to motivate myself for exercise. Yeah. Even last week, I needed to rest instead of attending my normal workout classes. And I really struggled with the shame of like, well, now you're not consistent. Now you're not going to be stronger. Like it wasn't always like a self-image thing, but I was shaming myself to try to motivate myself to go, even though I knew the wise thing to do would be to stay yeah. home. Yeah. So what we've been doing is really trying to recreate like our family theme and motto around that and it's like you don't have to go with your sisters you can move at whatever pace makes you happy yeah right and we're here to have fun and we're here to enjoy nature to enjoy it yeah and so that looked like her sisters and her dad like running and doing whatever i'm definitely a look look at the flowers type like her and so she was like finding the colors of the rainbow and the different outdoor plants and like when she's riding her bike instead of worrying about getting to a destination she'll like slowly pedal and sing to herself Uh um and so we've just been working really hard on making that like this is an acceptable and a supported form of this like it doesn't have to look the same as anyone else but we're we are redefining it as something that we enjoy and what makes us happy while we do it Well, and that leads me into the tip for anger because anger is um, a way of motivating and can get really like tricky with kids. So when when it shows up for my kids is when they get angry about having to do something they don't want to do, like um, taking a bath is a big one in our house. I don't know why. I know, They like it once they're in there. (laughs) It's just getting them in. Well, I have one that will always take a bath. The other two, it's like I've got to like – or a shower. I've got to like move through the anger about having to do it and – 
one way that I've like learned to help them is how can we make this experience more enjoyable? So mm-hmm. we have to do the thing because we have to shower because it's just part of life. Yeah. Oh, but, it's like you're going to go to school like and these people t- – I'm not telling this to my kid, but I'm like these people are going to be like these kids never shower. They yeah. don't take care of themselves. They wear dirty holy clothes that are mismatched all the time. I'm like <laughs> – Yeah. So like but how can we make this more fun? So do you want bubbles in your bath? Do you want a bath bomb? Do you want the bath colors? Like yes. do you want a candle? My, my one girl that really struggles with like wanting to bath, but she's very into like – the princess treatment so like we turn the lights off and then we light candles and we turn music her music on for her and then she will like love a bath because she and she just like hangs out in there and relaxes Uh and like that's her thing and that's my way of shifting through the anger of like having to take the bath to motivate her in a more healthy way that's what we do too or like glow stick baths oh yeah are super popular with us but i love the idea of redefining a bath as like a self-care moment yeah because we do the same thing like if they're really struggling and if they're seeing anger that's letting me know that they're dysregulated anyways and i know this is going to be a supportive activity like when people used to watch my kids i'm like give them a snack or make them wet Mm -hmm. i'm like let them play in the water outside, let them take a bath. Like if they're having a really hard time, I was like, those are my two go-tos yeah. for you. And so we do the same thing and it lets me know that they're already dysregulated and that's going to be regulating their system. And so we put their Alexa in there and they get to pick their music and I give them a bath bomb or I just bought, you should buy this, everyone buy this. I'm not an affiliate, but I love it. It's the mineral salts, eucalyptus mineral salts in bulk. It was like 20 bucks on yeah. Amazon yeah. and I just put a little bit in and it yeah. like, like dissolves. Like smell, mm-hmm. yeah. And their skin is all soft. It's like a hot springs in my house. I love it. That is like my dream because like, you know, I'm a bath girl. Yeah. And also, fun fact, Airbnb that we're staying at right now for podcast weekend is like literally you walk out the door and you're at a hot springs. So after we record this episode, we're going in the hot springs. But yeah, it's like this. And I've done this too where like, and she has the same girl has like long hair that gets like lots of rats, but she's got that sensory sensitive head Mm -hmm. that like she doesn't like to have it brushed, but she really wants to have her hair long. So we've been navigating like, how do we make this work? Because um, if we're going to have our hair long, we have to brush it regularly. And so it's been like on Sunday mornings, we'd like wake up and do a spa day and they were like very into that. So I'd let them do like the face mask and I just do it with both my girls, even though the one I mean, the one's just there for the ride, but like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they take like the bath after with the hair mask, which is the deep conditioner, mm-hmm. which then helps with the hair brushing. And, and she started to love it so much that it actually like motivates her. She wants to do that yeah. on Sundays. And then it makes it easier for me as a parent because I don't want to fight with her or like, yeah. and, and I don't want her to be in a state of anger when she's like trying to relax and like operating from that dysregulated nervous system. Yes, I agree. Would you consider, so like, let's say teen life, teen is mad that they have an assignment that they have to do and they don't want to do it. And then they decide to take a bath as a pre, like pre reward or as like a motivational thing and then commit to doing the assignment after the bath. Yeah. Would you say that that would be an effective way to work through the anger and the dysregulation and find a different, different, healthier way to motivate them to do the thing? Yes, and I think this is where you have to be – You ha- there has to be some trial and error because when you suggest this to parents, a lot of times their reaction is, well, we have to make sure they actually do it after the bath. 
And I think that that's the like, okay, so we want to give our kids a little bit of trust and control, um, especially if they're teenagers. Especially if they're teenagers. And say like, I'm trusting that you will do the thing afterwards, right? Like I'm, and talking about and like giving them that control and trust, they will feel so good that one, you gave that to them, that they are more motivated and that's a healthier motivation to do the thing. But then also, um, modeling kind of like even after the bath, if you're not motivated or you don't want to do it, how can I get started? So sometimes, um, the ADHD thing is you just need to freaking get started. So it's like, I, you need to stand near the thing you need to do to get yourself started doing it. Like, so if I need to clean and there's a room I need to clean in, I make myself go sit in that room because that, because I'm like, it's like proximity, right? Um, and so like, I'll see it. And then eventually the motivation will build and the dopamine will build to get up and start picking things up. Or I'll be like, okay, I'm just going to do five things or I'm going to read this one chapter and then I can take a break. And usually once the ADHD brain is in motion, it stays in motion. Yes. So it's just getting your, yourself or your child in motion to get the thing done Yeah. and adding like smaller rewards in between. But I don't see a problem with giving the reward first to build the dopamine, um, to do the thing. I just think it requires the intentionality and follow through on the parents part to support them in doing the thing afterwards. And if it comes from a place of shame of like, if they don't feel like you believe that they'll do the thing afterwards, they absolutely will not do it. Yeah. And if you're being like, okay, well, this is your one chance to try it this way. And if you blow it, we're never doing this again. It's not going to be effective. So making sure we're coming from a place of connection rather than perpetuating that shame with our kids. And I don't think anyone does that intentionally. Like, I don't mean that in a mean way. I don't think it intentionally as parents were like trying to do this, mm-hmm. but I think it's just, we're trying to get shit done. Yeah. I even, and help our kids get shit done. Yes. Amen. And we will try literally anything in the moment. I had that experience the other day with Alayla where I tried absolutely everything in my potential toolbox in the middle of the moment and I had no idea what was going to work or why. And that's why we like resort to like threats, shame, and punishment mm-hmm. is because um, it often works. It's not healthy, but it kind of works sometimes. Yeah, like it works. Um, or we feel like it's going to work or we're frustrated about it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that I support a bookend here too. Because I think when we're using anxiety or urgency and anger, what is most important is that we are educating our kids and modeling for our kids, identifying that for them and helping them move through it. Because after that, then it's easier to use the healthy coping skill of like, this is one that I use. Okay, I'm going to set a 10-minute timer and I'm just going to see how much I get done in 10 minutes. And mm-hmm. then it, the timer goes off, I can be done if I want, right? Mm-hmm. And then I end up keep going or I do stop, whatever it is, and then a reward. Um, but I think with those two specifically, it's more important to be aware of the process and the body and what's happening and for them to be able to feel it and move through it and work through it and then apply a healthy coping skill. Especially because most of our kids are at the age where we're still really patterning their nervous systems. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that they're not creating these unhealthy patterns. And that to me as a parent feels more important than if they actually get the assignment done after the bath. Right. Like, um, because that's like a, like patterning their nervous system. Now that's shit. They're going to have to undo later. Like I'm trying to undo now. And I would just rather prevent that. Like I'd rather deal with finding ways to motivate the assignment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or I'd rather have to, if the motivation is me sitting with them or them answering one question and taking a break and like it's slow as hell. I would rather do that and have them be in a, uh, my language is on 10 today. I'm really sorry guys, but um, I would rather have them 
be in a regulated state and it take four hours to do the thing because we're taking so many breaks and having so many rewards than to push through it with a dysregulated nervous system and have their nervous system pattern or associate that. Yeah. So that's just their state of being. Because when you learn something, you either learn it or you have to learn it, unlearn it, and relearn it. Yeah. And which of those sounds like less work, like a healthier option? Yeah. And so it's and it's more work for a for a parent in the moment, like to the first time to do the thing, right? Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of this comes down to like our emotional presence and our intentionality with our kids, which can be really difficult because there's life going on, mm-hmm. and a lot of times. Yeah, I would love to be able to tell my eight-year-old, almost eight-year-old, to go clean his room. And, and have him just clean and it. And have him just clean <laughs> it, right? Because then I can do the dishes or clean the kitchen and I'm getting more done. But but that's not the, the reality of the life I'm living in now. And it's more effective for me to go sit in his room and help him clean his room right now so that he learns later rather than having to trash our relationship because I'm yelling at him or getting frustrated or creating these negative like patterns and associations with cleaning. A lot of ADHD people have these like in real life with clean in real life. (laughs) We're all in real life with cleaning, um, at when they're adults. And so it just seems like, yeah, it's more work for me today and it might be annoying. It might not be the thing that I want to do today. Mm -hmm. Um, but once I do it and I get in there, I usually feel so good about myself as a parent that it was a hundred percent worth. It. Yeah. And then you wake up in six months, eight months, and all of a sudden they can do that stuff by themselves. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. That's been my experience. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that was so worth it. I'm glad that I took the time and intentionality. But I think that comes back to regulating ourselves. Yes. Because if my nervous system is dysregulated, it's really hard for me to stay in a place where I can be emotionally present and recognize that in the moment that like this is more important and this is creating long-term habits and mm-hmm. patterns in our relationship and in my son's nervous system. And that's more important than how much we can clean in this hour I have set aside to clean. Yeah. I 100% agree. And I think that's why if you're interested in regulating your nervous system, check out our Calm Mom Happy Kids nervous system class in our stand store. It's amazing. And we talk about why it's important to regulate your nervous system in parenting. Um, And I've just shared a few examples here, but we also go deeper into the the how-to of how you do that. The last one, and we've already kind of talked about it, that kids do or that we do to um, emotionally motivate ourselves is the shape and self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I think we've covered a few examples of this so far of how we shame ourselves. So like I said, that was kind of my, I realized that was a pattern that I had in getting myself to work out and I had to reframe that. And now it wasn't just for my kids, like the reframing of the mindset work I did filtered into my family because that is the way that I wanted to live and the values I wanted to hold. So it's like when I go to the gym, I'm going because I want longevity of my mobility and movement and keeping up with my kids. And I deserve that time for me to do something I know is good for myself and my nervous system that I enjoy doing. Right. And when we talk about it like that and we, cause the, the double edged sword of being a parent, but specifically a mother, I feel like, and I don't want to gender role too much, but I think that, that people tend to generally fall into this where like, if you're an adult in a household, maybe is the best way to say it, you 
are responsible for the way that that household runs. So you set the tone. Mm -hmm. And so you setting the tone by regulating yourself and having these family cultures of not operating from a sense of shame or needing to prove your worth. Um, And when we were prepping for this episode, that's something that I talked with you about is like, that's something I really don't want my kids to fall into. Our kids naturally pick that up and it's the easiest way to teach them and correct the beat. And you know, I don't want to say correct that, but like keep them from having that. Relearn. Yeah. So it's like relearning it ourselves, but then also modeling it for our kids Mm -hmm. and helping them relearn if they have picked up those things from society, because that's going to happen. Unfortunately, it's so pervasive, which I did not realize until my kids started going to Like the smart thing we just talked about. Yeah. Like, so we only have so much control in our homes and it's a lot of control. You have a lot of control and it feels, and the double edged part of this rounding back to my point, this is my (laughs) is that that there's a lot of power but there's also a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. I agree and and so when we were prepping for this we talked a lot about establishing your family culture Mm -hmm. and making sure that it aligns with where you want to be and where you want your children to be as adults and if you can sit down and ask yourself like this thought I'm having or this belief that I heard come from my child is this does this align with the values that I want perpetuated in our family is this the family culture that I want that answer is no then you can start now yeah yeah and you can model through living it like and I think the other thing that we think we can do as parents is we can have our kids get away with not internalizing these beliefs without actually having to like reparent and unlearn it ourselves and that's just not possible Mm -mm. because modeling because modeling power and pressure the double-edged sword is the number one way that we teach our kids about life and how to show up in life we unintentionally will be sending that message and and diet culture is the best is the best example example of this and it is how we talk about our bodies how we talk about ourselves how we talk about other people's bodies that we see they internalize even if we never say a word to them about their body so until we actually do the work on ourselves with shame um we cannot model for our kids a healthy way of motivating in that arena or motivating without shame. I agree. They mentioned an experiment that I want to throw out there before we close the episode. And they talk about setting an alarm for an hour. And then when the alarm goes off, they want you to write down or during the time, because I'd be like, I don't, I'm not going to remember it for that whole hour. But in the moment when I recognize using one of these emotional tricks to motivate myself, writing it down. And I think it takes a lot, like Lindsay and I are talking about it, like, oh, no big deal. But we sat and reflected and discussed because they can be, there's such ingrained beliefs and patterns that it's hard to identify. So even if it popped up for you while we were talking this episode, last episode, write them down. Yeah. And because they're so pervasive. And when you, when you're in your own head, you can't see the forest for your trees, for the trees, because you're in your own thoughts all day, every day. And mm-hmm. so the thoughts and the patterns, they're so subconscious and unconscious. We operate from our subconscious like 80% of the time, guys. Like it's just happening, right? Yeah. And until we take the time to pause and be aware of it, we're not aware of some of the ways we're maybe coming across to our kids or the beliefs that are ideas that we're perpetuating yeah. in ourselves and in our parenting. You can also do this with your kids is like noticing. I was like, they are direct mirrors of us. Yeah. So <laughs> you can take an hour or an afternoon and notice the things and write them down and then go back and reflect on shifts that you can make in your family or ways you can support your kids so that they're less likely to pattern those um, 
negative ways of motivating themselves. Well said. Thank you everyone for being here. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please let us know mindful is another pod at Gmail. If you have any questions, you want more direction, check out our calm mom, happy kids at our stand store. And we love you. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.